Thank you for listening to this sermon by Grace Point Church. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website at gracepointaz.com, or better yet, come be our guest on a Sunday morning. Good morning, Grace Point Church. If you, uh, thank you for being here. If you'd please stand for the reading of God's word. If you would like to follow along with the reading this morning and need a Bible, they can be found in the seat backs in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible, you could please take this one home with you. Or if you know somebody who needs a Bible, please take this one home and give it to them. We would love for you to have God's word in your hands throughout the week. Today's scripture will be taken from the book of Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 through 30. And that can be found on page 855. Please follow along with me as I read. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of, what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Please pray with me. Thank you, Jesus, for this day. Thank you for this time of year. God, I, I just pray that you would be with Jason as he brings the message this morning, God, uh, that we would be deeper in love with you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Hey, you guys can have a seat. Man, y'all are looking good. I know a lot of you got the memo about the Christmas sweater, the ugly Christmas sweater, or maybe it ain't ugly. Maybe it looks good on you. It looks real good. And I did get the memo, and I was really going to go for it, and then I was afraid that the sweater itself would become the sermon. Uh, so, so this is what you get. Even my daughter this morning, this is how we love each other at the Vance house. My daughter's like, what's wrong with you, Dad? I'm like, what? She's like, you didn't wear a sweater, and you wore Easter colors. Like, so clearly I dressed myself this morning. Carrie was not aware of what was happening. Uh, as I left out this morning. But anyways, just super glad that you are here. Um, this is week number four of our Advent series. Our theme today is joy. And uh, there's a difference between happiness and joy. We'll flesh that out uh, today in the sermon. But happiness uh, always depends on what happens. You can just kind of put that in your heart and recognize that happiness will always depend on what happens. If you want a happy day, then no crappy things can happen that day or you won't have a happy day because happiness is reactionary, it's rooted in circumstance, and it's supposed to be. So I just want you to know, like, I do hope that you have happy lives. I hope that you have happy days, but happiness depends on what happens. So if you want to be happy today, go, I don't even know if you can, I don't know if you buy a car on Sunday, I don't even know how it works. I buy a car like once every 10 years or more, more than that. But go buy a brand new car. Like, that'll make you really, really happy. And I was watching Coach Prime coach Jackson State yesterday. It was a tough loss, but it was fun to watch. And some, somebody like a, somebody selling a Buick, and like, you don't have to pay for it for three months, I saw. So maybe you can flip that sucker. I don't even know how that works. But um, go buy a new car, but three months later or a month later, whenever it is you start making payments, I promise you, you will not be happy anymore. Happy days will end. Uh, but, but that's not what joy is. Joy is an eternal perspective. Uh, there's something about Christians who are operating and living from the identity that God has given us. I, I want you to know you can be a Christian and live joyless, and it ain't anything you can't repent of, but you can't not be a Christian and live joy-filled, at least in the way the scriptures show us that you have the capacity to do so. So for example, like something started changing and shifting in 2016. I started noticing this as a pastor, like 
Things that used to not divide the church were starting to, to divide the church, but then it went like full-on peak in 2020 uh, with the election and COVID and masks and politics and everything was like a line in the sand. And you would notice that there were some people, though, who were okay. Like, it wasn't okay. It seemed like, it seemed like Armageddon out there. But, but there were people who were okay sleeping at night, you know, posting pictures of their families on Facebook and not fighting with anybody. And, and, and if you paid attention to those lives, it was typically people who were deeply rooted in the gospel of Jesus. You may wonder, what's different about that? That's joy. Joy is different than happiness. Joy is this eternal perspective. It's supernatural. It's not natural. Now, there's aspects of joy that people who don't even love Jesus, they may, they may have that, like a soldier can go into battle knowing if the war is won, then, then I can go into this battle with that perspective. That's an aspect of joy, but only God's people have this eternal perspective and this eternal joy, this supernatural gift. And so that's the thing I want to tell you about joy today. It is a gift, it is supernatural, and it is also a choice we make once we become a Christian. And so what I want to do is jump into Luke chapter 1, and we're going to pick up in verse 26. Eric did a good job reading uh, through verse 30 for us, but we're going to go all the way through 38 uh, today in the text. And uh, Luke is my favorite gospel out of the gospels, and the reason why is Luke was not necessarily an eyewitness to the things that he writes about, but he interviewed the people who lived out these stories. So for example, it's highly likely, uh, very likely, that Luke went and talked to Mary herself and got her perspective about what happened the night that the angel had showed up. So Luke was a physician, a doctor. So this is the gospel according to Luke, and, and the scenario is this. Luke was a traveling physician with the apostle Paul. We see in the scriptures in the book of Acts where Luke was with Paul uh, some. And so the way I want you to think of like Luke's role in all this, if you think of a, a fighter, like a UFC fighter or a boxer, I want you to think of Paul. Paul was a great missionary, a church planner, and he would literally get into fist fights and get arrested for preaching the gospel of Jesus. And so he'd get all beat up, and Luke would come over in the corner, you know, like lift his lips up and make sure, you know, how many fingers am I holding up, stitch him up and send him back out to plant churches. That's Luke. Uh, there was a wealthy man named Theophilus, and Theophilus funded two documentaries uh, the first documentary was, was The Gospel According to Luke, which is what we're going to read from today. It is a documentary on the life and ministry of Jesus. And the second documentary is The Book of Acts, which is basically the life and ministry of the church, how Holy Spirit has empowered ordinary people to do the extraordinary ministry that Jesus has called us to do. Jesus said that we would do greater things than him. Now, that didn't mean that we would you know, breathe underwater and fly into our, outer space without SpaceX or anything like that. He meant that that the work he did around Jerusalem would exponentially grow all over the world, and it has, and it will continue to do so till Christ returns. And the book of Acts is a documentary about where the church came from and how we got here. So that being said, let's jump into Luke's documentary as he's likely interviewed Mary, and these are the things that she said to him, and we'll just jump in verse 26. Uh, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. And so in the sixth month there, I'll just pause there and say, that's not June. Uh, what he's saying is in the sixth month of Elizabeth, who is Mary's cousin, she's pregnant. She's been barren, not able to have kids. But God has showed up and told her, you know, you're going to have a baby. It's a uh, spoiler alert. It's John the Baptist, uh, the greatest among men who have ever lived. That's what Jesus called him. 
And so there's these two miracle babies being born. Uh, one is God healed a womb, and the other one is God supernaturally put a baby in a womb, and that's Mary. That's the announcement she's about to receive. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Gabriel, who's an angel, shows up from God. And I want you to take note how Luke describes the place where Mary's from, to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, the reason he's so descriptive is he expects those who read this documentary to have no idea about Nazareth. We know Jesus is from Nazareth. We've read that. Some of you grew up in Sunday school. Our kids are going to know about Nazareth because they learn the same scriptures we learn in the big room when they're in there in elementary class. Uh, but Nazareth was a no-name town. Nobody knew about Nazareth. They were no-name people from a no-name town. They were guys and girls going absolutely nowhere. It's important for us to know this because this is how God moves. This is a way he shows up. He'll show up in a place you'd never expect through people you'd never expect. I mean, oftentimes the people who, who really help me, like I'll, somebody will speak into my life. It'll be somebody whose boots don't match their belt and they're missing a belt loop all around the belt, you know, and, and maybe they got you know, stuff in their beard or whatever. Like, I don't know. And I'm just like, man, I wouldn't take style advice from you, but you just healed my marriage, you know? Like, God will work and speak through people from places you'd never expect, through people you'd never expect, in ways that you would never expect. And so some of you are from places like I'm from. I'm from a flyover state, a drive-through state. I'm from Oklahoma. And you guys will ask, like, what part are you from? And I'll typically say, like, Tulsa or Oklahoma City. And then you may know of those places. And then I'm like, and as the crow flies about 60 miles east, I'll tell you where, where I'm actually from. So that's the situation here. This is Mary and Joseph. They're probably teenagers. Uh, Mary is likely not educated, likely can't read, uh, at least at this point in her life. Um, she's betrothed to Joseph. That means that they're legally married, but not functionally married. So they're in covenant. Uh, the only way to end the relationship would be a, a divorce. And, so, and the reason for the divorce would need to be unfaithfulness because she's pregnant. And like she's saying, God did it. You know, like, oh, okay. So you're either telling the truth or you're insane. And, uh, and so the likely, I mean, just think if, if you go to see your family and you're like, surprise, I'm having a baby. And well, who's the dad? God. <laughs> yeah, it would go over about like that. Somebody would be like, well, you know, that only happened once, you know, and it isn't going to happen again. And so the, and when she's living this out, so all this to say, that's who Mary and Joseph were. And what God is calling them to do was a very scandalous thing. Like we have the chronological snobbery and the privilege of, of kind of, um, since we're kids, if you, if you grew up in church, you had the concept of the virgin birth. And some of you may be struggling with it even today. And you may be here skeptic and a little bit cynical about uh, the miraculous, but, but at least you've been able to process it. Like, well, just imagine her. She's processing this because this is actually her life. So she's a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Joseph was blue collar. He's probably educated, but he flunked out of seminary. Like every young Jewish boy wanted to grow up, move to Jerusalem, grow out their sideburn things and be that rabbi, uh, you know, put the thing on his head and teach scriptures and be a thought leader. Get on Twitter and have the blue check mark for $8 a month or whatever it is Elon's doing now. But that's what, they, that's what they wanted to do. And Joseph wasn't smart enough, he wasn't good enough to do that, so he was gonna grow up and build birdhouses for the rest of his life. But that's who God picked. That's who God decided, you're gonna raise my son. That was Joseph, okay? So hammer swingers, that, you know, that's Joseph. That, that's the guy who raised God. Um, so the virgin's name was Mary, Verse 28, Gabriel comes to her and he says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at that saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. 
And you may wonder, like, why is she freaking out? The angel said to her, she's favored. Well, I can tell you why she's freaking out, because an angel is saying things to her. Like, I want you to think about there's one world, two dimensions. There's the natural, the supernatural, the seen, and the unseen. And for all the sci-fi people, the alien people, the History Channel watching people, you're here today. This is your moment. This is your time. Like, whoa, like dimensions are opening up, and an angel steps through and freaks Mary out. Like, I don't know if you've ever had that. Like, maybe you have abduction stories or whatever. Like, tell me. I, I totally want to hear about it. But, uh, but the closest we can probably grasp of what it would be like to process and think what sort of, of greeting is this going to be would be if the highway patrol showed up at your house and your loved one was gone, right? Like you'd be getting the stalker app out. I think it's called Life360 or something like that. And you'd be looking on like, where's my husband? Where's my kids? Uh, trying to figure out is, what is the patrolman going to tell me? Because typically they show up and say there's been an accident and your husband is not coming home or whatever that is. And so she's trying to understand what is this really that you're telling me? So she's greatly troubled. She's trying to discern. And in verse 30, <clears throat> the angel says to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there'll be no end. And so you need to understand like 400 years of silence has just ended with God making an announcement through the angels that two miracle babies were being born, John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. And this, this begins God speaking again through his people and John is gonna be like a prophet. Jesus is God who's going to live, die and raise from the dead and save us from our sins and save us back to reconciliation to God. And this is Mary's calling for the gospel. All of us in here, if you're saved by Jesus, you've been saved to the church and you've been saved for Jesus' mission. And our role is to carry Jesus to our friends and give an invite card to someone who's not a Christian and say, would you come to Christmas Eve service with me? Let's make a memory and maybe you'll even change your life. And so Mary was called to carry Jesus literally in the womb and be his mother. And so Mary asks a very legitimate question in verse 34. How will this be since I am a virgin? She's like, look, I don't even have a public education, but I've watched Barnyard Animal. I know how this works. Like, I ain't ever hooked up with a man. You know, like, how's this gonna happen? And he says, the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born shall be called Holy, the Son of God. There's your answer. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who's called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to to your word, and the angel departed from her. Now you may say like, hey, the word joy isn't even in there. Like, you, how is this a sermon on joy? Like, what, what, this, is this should be a sermon on mission? Or, so this is not gonna be so topical, or I'm not gonna try to like, in the Greek, joy, da, 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 da. I just wanna look in someone's life and go, that's it. That's it. That's what I'm talking about. That's joy. That's how you live from joy. And like Mary, all of us have a purpose from God, we have the person of God, who's the Holy Spirit of God, 
And we have the people of God, a community to gather around us while we live in this uncertainty. So what do I mean by joy? Mary is saying, okay, you've called me. You've, through revelation, you've told me something and I'm going to believe it because that revelation has led to transformation and now I have a way I see the world. What God had called Mary to do was impossible with her, but it was possible through God. God called Mary to do, there's a scandal attached to her life. People are gonna make fun of them, like literally, like she's gonna say, my baby is God, and people are gonna laugh at that and mock that. Later, they call Jesus a bastard in one of the gospels because who is his dad? We don't know who his dad is. Joseph decided to raise him, but they would tell people like what Gabriel said to them. I don't think it was undercover secret. I think, was it Michael English, whoever, then Mark Lowry, and then CeeLo Green even did a good job, but you probably only heard the pentatonic sing, Mary, did you know? It's a great song, but she did. She knew. We see right here that, that she knew. Maybe not all of the implications and all of the complexities and, and all the miraculous, but she knew that he was Jesus and his uh, kingdom would have no end and he would save us from our sins. And so all of us have this missionary mandate, this calling at 30,000 feet to make disciples and to be a part of planting churches and, and baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit that we see in Matthew uh, the, in the Great Commission or the missionary mandate. But then like on the ground, like this week, like the way the idea comes from that you should uh, use your life to point others to Jesus. Now, literally this week, who's it gonna be? Who are you gonna invite? What's the name attached to it? What's the person you're gonna get to know? And you may say, well, I don't know anybody. How am I, I going to get to know people? Well, the same answer. The Holy Spirit of God will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And some of you realize as Christians, like, man, I've sinned against my spouse. How do I let her know this now as a Christian? Well, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And some of you are like, how am I going to forgive? I've been wounded. How do, how do I release forgiveness to someone? The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Well, how am I going to be joy-filled when there's all of this stuff going on in my life? Well, the Spirit of the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And the joy-filled life is where we step into uncertainty, we step into complexity, we step into a scandal, our reputation gets put on the line because of our faith in Christ, but we're okay even when our circumstances are not okay, and that's what joy is. That's what joy is. So there's three things that I just look in Mary's life I want to pull out of her life and put in the room and to say about joy for us to believe this week as we anticipate Christmas Eve. Number one is this. I'm just going to put it in the room. Joy is a gift. It's a gift. Now, why would, what is it, what's the essence of a gift? It can be received, but it's, joy is not a trophy. You're not going to go in the octagon and knock the other guy out and then here's your joy. You have joy now. You did it. You're not going to be a bad person and then figure out like, oh, if I don't drink, smoke, or cuss in public, they'll think I'm good. Now I can have joy. I've leveled up to the level of joy. And some of you may think, I don't know anything about the Lord. I'm going to start reading books by dead people, get really smart, fight with people online, and then I'll have joy. Like joy is not something that we achieve. It's not like at the bottom of the pyramid scheme for Jesus. Joy is a gift. Jesus achieves joy with his life and his death and his resurrection. And you might notice like all four of these themes preach the same way. Love is the only one that's a little bit different, but hope, joy, peace, and love all come from Jesus. And I could preach this sermon the same way. In fact, I have for like four weeks. Some of you are already on to me like, I think this is the same sermon. 
Basically, yes, because all of those things can only be received when you put your faith in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Then you can have joy, at least the joy that's described in the scriptures. It's through the life of Jesus that, that righteousness is accomplished. He was completely without sin. It's through the death of Jesus that forgiveness is accomplished as he atones for our sin. And as he absorbs the wrath of God, the, the fury of God against the injustice that we've committed. And he makes it just. And Christ goes in our place so that we can be fully forgiven. And he raises from the dead so that we could have hope and victory over Satan, sin, and death. That this philosophy has history behind it. This is not just a philosophical movement. It's a historical movement. And so when you put your hope in Christ, then you can have joy, the gift of joy. It is received. But it would be cruel for me to tell you, go be joy-filled if you do not already have the capacity to be joy-filled because you can't muster it up. At best, you would be nice to people that you hate. At best, you would be faking it till you make it all the way to hell. At best, you would be trying to minimize your pain and pretend like everything's okay when it's not okay. I'm not asking you to minimize your pain. I'm asking you to maximize the promises of God. The promises of God will eclipse our pain uh, through joy. I'm not saying there's no tears. I'm not saying there's no suffering. I'm saying in those moments, tear-filled, and with sorrow, there's also joy. Both of those things coexist in our hearts, okay? So joy is our response to believing the promises of God. Number one is there's no condemnation over our sin if we're in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. There's consequences. Like there's ways I could sin that I just don't get to be the pastor anymore, there's ways I could sin that might lose the respect of my kids or my friends or whatever, but, but I'll never go to hell for, for what I've done, ever, ever. Like, also, like even stuff I, I haven't even fathomed that I might do in a decade from now, it's fully forgiven, fully, fully taken away. Why, my, my slate is clean, all because of Jesus. Now that should give me joy. Like I can, man, like I don't have to live in fear and hide my sin. Like, no, man, put, say it out, put it out there in the room because there's no condemnation. Sin is powerless over us. Uh, nothing can separate us through the, the love of God through Jesus. That's a powerful promise. Like, we don't love like that. We want to love like that. We try to love like that. Sometimes we love like that when the love from God is flowing through us. But like, God's love for you is not rooted in your performance, like he's not, how, how many times have you been to dinner like with your spouse, the person you love most and they start talking and under the table, you're like, do I put my foot on her knee or not? Like, you're go, you're, I, just, I, I just want you to stop talking because you might say something that would embarrass me. Or maybe the spouse is that way towards you and you're like in that moment, what are you really doing? You're conditionally loving them like you're saying, listen, you know, you're, you're freaking me out right now. You're making me nervous. You might embarrass me. How many of you ever take your kids out in public? You're like, what a ride, you know? I'll never forget this story, pastor. The first pastor I ever had, the guy that led me to Jesus. Before he was a pastor, they totally skipped church. And it was the kind of church where the pastor would go check on everybody right after church who didn't go to church that day to make sure that, you know, it's like a church of like 50 people and you could totally do that. And so the pastor shows up and rings the doorbell, and, and my pastor Glenn gathers his family up and takes them back in the walk-in closet in their bedroom. He's like, shh, we're hiding from the preacher. And the guy just keeps ringing the doorbell, and finally they realize he knows we're home. So they open the door, and the guy's like, hey, what have y'all been doing? And his little boy goes, we's hiding from you. 
And in that moment, you're like, oh, oh, I'll hold your head underwater when you give you a bath tonight, you know? But God doesn't love us like that. Like, he doesn't feel that way toward us. That's powerful. Like, there is someone in your life whose your performance is not conditioning your acceptance. Now, don't get me wrong. God's a dad, and he corrects us, and he'll totally correct you. He'll show you your sin so that you can walk away from it and repent. But that has nothing to do with his embracing of you. There's no condition to where he's like, I'll only do this if you act like this. No, the condition is Christ. If you're in Christ, you're in the ark of Jesus, you've escaped condemnation, he set his affection on you, and he won't withdraw it if you get goofy. He just won't. He just won't. Um, We did a series in the 23rd Psalm this year. We talked about shepherds quite a bit and sheep. And and Jesus says in one of the gospel, he won't lose any of those that the Father gives to him. Like your salvation is eternally secure. It's not on the line. Like, if you are a Christian, then you're always going to be his. Now, you can be bad at being a Christian, but God will be faithful, and Jesus is good at being a shepherd. And when we're faithless, he's faithful. When we're unfaithful, he's faithful. When we're fruitless, he's fruitful. And so... Uh, Jesus will bring heaven to earth. One of the other promises is that as it is in heaven, it will be on earth, that one day the sky will rip open, Christ will bring heaven to earth, no more disease, no more death, no more divorce, debt. Man, let's keep going. I just realized what I was doing. Like, all of, that's alliteration. I'm a Baptist preacher. I can't help it. All the Ds will go, you know. Anyway, he'll bring heaven to earth, that where he is, there we will also be. Unified, uniformed with Jesus, okay? So joy is a gift. If you don't have it, you can't use it. But if you do have it, use it. The second thing I want you to know about joy is it is a choice. Joy is a choice. That's probably the secret. That's the secret sauce. Like some of you are Christians and you're miserable. And I just want to do like the old Bob Hope thing. It's stop it. This is Bob Newhart Hope. I can't remember which one it is. But he's like the counselor. Everybody goes into his... He's like, hey, I've been having this problem. He's like, well, quit it. (laughs) Just quit it. It's not anything you can't repent of. Never justify your lack of joy if you're a Christian. So the secret sauce is this, that joy is a spiritual discipline. It's like reading the scriptures. It's like prayer. It's like gathering together with the church at a service, like getting plugged into community group. It's like serving on a team somewhere. It's not called a spiritual convenience. The reason they're called spiritual disciplines is because you won't feel like doing them. Like there's times when I tell Carrie, like it's early in the morning, the sun ain't up. I'm like, babe, I don't feel like going to work today. She's like, it's Sunday. You know, like, we don't have church if you don't go to church. I'm like, well, you know, I'm just a man, you know. (laughs) I guess Tyler can preach or Rob can sing the sermon. I don't know. I will do it. But, But it's a choice. What that means is, as Christians, when we're tempted to lose heart, we can take heart because we have it. What I'm saying is, when it's not okay, you can be okay. It's a choice. It's a choice. There's going to come a time when the job ain't working right, your kids are off the rails or teetering the rails, your marriage is not firing on all cylinders. There's like this lump in your body and you're like, do I go to the doctor? Do I pretend like it's not there? Like, I don't get insurance for three months on this new job or whatever. Like, crappies all around. And I'm telling you, you can choose joy. You can choose joy. And it would be cruel of me to say, pretend like there's nothing wrong. That's not what I'm saying. 
I'm saying embrace what's wrong. Let, your, let the people of God gathered around you. We'll weep with you, but we'll weep with joy-filled hearts. We'll, we'll weep that this, this day isn't supposed to be like this, but there's coming a day that will eclipse this day, and days like this will end forever. Forever. Because the third thing I want you to know about joy is joy is a vision. Joy is a way we see the world. Joy is a perspective for the Christian. Happiness will depend on what happens today. Happiness is rooted in this day, but joy is dependent upon what will happen the last day. Joy is rooted in that day. So don't just live for this day, live from that day. So Christians who are okay when it's not okay are people who can see today through the lens of the second coming of Christ. That Jesus will rip apart the sky, he'll bring heaven to earth, and there'll be no more severed relationships, there'll be no more injustice, there'll be no more isms, There'll be no more disease. There'll be no more pains that we don't understand what they are or where they're coming from in our body. There's no more death, no more suffering, no more sorrow. Like me, preachers and doctors will be out of work. We'll be like interns at grocery stores and it'll be great. We'll get paid all godly amounts of money. It'll be awesome, okay? It'll be great when we see today through the lens of that day, it has implications for sin and sickness and death and for all of our relationships. And the thing of it is, like, how do you then get it? If you cannot achieve it, how do you receive it? Well, what Paul would tell us in Romans is to believe in our heart that Jesus raised from the dead and confess with our lips that he is Lord. Let's pray.